Hello, this is Michael Melfi. I want to start out by thanking you for clicking. Now, before we dive into the content, there are a couple housekeeping things that I wanted to make sure we took care of. First, I'd like to share with you why the Be Investable podcast. Second, I want to share with you what you can expect. And third, I have a quick ask for you. First, we developed the Be Investable podcast to provide you, the listener, the entrepreneurs, the founders, the leader of an emerging company, a startup, a small business, the insight into the process for developing an intelligent culture designed to scale with ease and maximize your efforts towards your vision, your financial outcomes, and the ideal cultural environment. Second, each episode, you can expect to hear from entrepreneurs, subject matter experts, and funding sources who will all share their stories and ultimately answer the question of what does it mean to be investable. It is our goal to explore the attitude, the skills, and the knowledge necessary to be investable as we go through each of the episodes. Third is my ask. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen because your time is very valuable. And my ask is that if you like what you hear, not only will you subscribe, but please also leave a review and share it with others. By doing this, you can help us reach our goal of becoming the number one entrepreneurial and funding podcast and gain further exposure so we can continue to share with the entrepreneurial ecosystem what it means to be investable. Thank you and enjoy listening. Welcome back to the Be Investable podcast. My name is Michael Melfi and today we have the pleasure of Richard Simtob joining us. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Looking forward to it. And Richard, we're, we're enthusiastic to have you on. You come with a wealth of knowledge, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about a lot of different things. The first thing I wanted to hop right in and, and ask you about is you started out in Canada and ended up in the United States. How did you know you were wanted to come here, and, and how did you know you wanted to go into business as opposed to taking a job or going to work in a corporation? Uh, I guess my early years, my very, very first business, I was 14 years old, and I started disjocking parties. And from having the fun of this shocking, I formalized the company, created a logo and a brand, and hired people and started managing multiple parties, and I did that for my high school years. So I feel like the entrepreneurial bug was early in my life, and, and I really, really enjoyed it. I was really contemplating to or not to go to college, and I had done, right before college, I did a t-shirt business in Toronto, and I decided, you know, I should go to college, have more options. And I heard it was a lot of fun, too. So it was one of the reasons I went to the University of Western Ontario. But when I was there, my very first month on campus, they started promoting a franchise called Student Painters. And it was a really neat kind of business to get into as a college student. You prepare during the school year. And you only run the business when you're not in school. And then you shut it down at the end of August and you go back to school. So I decided uh, to give it a shot, and that's what I did that first summer. And that franchise led to another franchise in the automotive business, and then I just never looked back. I, I don't think I, I dropped out of college, and I became unemployable. I couldn't get a job anymore. And, and that's not a bad thing. I know a lot of people have connotations around that. And when you just look at your success, whether it be founding Talking Book World, being the COO and owner of Wireless Toys, being the co-founder of FranchiseForSale.com, or now the president and partner of Zoop, a fresh soup company, it's been nothing but successes along the way. Is there one thing that you would say was the, the common thread between all those successes for you? 
I guess everything that I did, I've always been passionate about, and I was passionate about the people that I worked with. What you know, you miss in all that is all the business failures in between. So there's been a bunch of things that I've attempted and tried and didn't work out. Um, thank God I've, I've, I've made more mistakes. I've lost. I've had more businesses fail than succeed, but the failure losses were limited, and the success have done better. So that's why I'm still above in the black and not in the red. And I want to ask you about that. You know, most people talk about their successes, or someone like you, we read about all your successes that you've had, and, and we don't really get to hear a lot about the, the, the failures, or I like to look at them as those lessons, those, those challenges. What would be your most challenging moment that you've had, and what did you learn from it? Well, I had a really challenging moment in 2001. It all started at the end of November 1999, I had grown a company with a couple partners and some investors called Talking Book World, and I grew it to a point in um, November 99 where we had 20 stores that were company-owned, and we had 20 franchisees, and we operated in seven states. And it was a neat business, renting books on tape. There were still cassette tapes at the time. We had evolved into CDs. The Internet was obviously happening, but I was definitely not giving the credit to the Internet that it is today. I never believed people could download a book onto their phone in 10 minutes and, and listen to it. So that business definitely was challenged. We brought on an investor group, and I did not know them very well, but they came recommended, and they seemed to be really smart. And within weeks of them joining, I realized I had made a mistake. I brought on partners that were not aligned in many ways with me. And within 15 months, you know, I was kicked out of the company and, and had to start all over again. So it was, a, it was probably the lowest point of my life. I just had my second child. It was about two months old. And I had no job and no business and no degree. And it was like hitting the reset button and no money at the same time. Wow. And so, so in that moment, what did you do or where, where did you turn to? Well, I did, you know, decide to maybe look for a job. You know, I was used to working six to seven days a week, 12 hours or more a day. And I told my wife, now that we have kids, maybe I should get one of those nine-to-five jobs, be home for dinner every night, and be home on the weekends and not travel all the time. And she looked at me and says, you would never be happy <laughs> doing that. <laughs> um, at the same time, no one would give me an interview because I didn't have a college degree. So it forced me back into entrepreneurship. And I turned to people that I knew that were successful out there in different industries. I was very fortunate. We had a, a, distinct, a, a cousin in the family that was in the real estate business that let me move into his office, literally sit next to him, listen to him on the phone, and try making some real estate deals. And then that led into what I know how to do, which is help people franchise their business. So I was helping people sell franchises and find locations as a real estate agent. And I worked as a you know, consultant, commission agent for several years. That's how I learned about Zoop. That's how I got affiliated with Wireless Toys. I helped them as that consultant real estate person, which then grew into becoming a partner in Wireless Toys and later helped me become a partner. It, it created the opportunity for me to buy into Zoop later on in my career. You, Richard, I, I, I love hearing you share about that and all the times we've talked and all the conversations that I, I never knew about that. And it's so interesting to see that that defining moment really led to your successes. Was there something in that experience that was just a learning lesson that you carry forward now? Well, I think, you know, in, in partnerships and in business partnerships, 
I know how important, you know, culture and alignment and really knowing people in good and bad times is. So mm-hmm. I've had in every business that I have and every investment I've made, it's all about the people. You know, mm-hmm. the business, you know, it doesn't matter how great the concept is. If the people aren't great, concept's going nowhere. And I've really taken that, you know, with franchising and who I do business with, who I choose to invest in and, and who I choose to be aligned with, you know, have to match. And when they don't, I'm very good at stepping back or staying out and being careful. I, you know, I always think of that bad partnership I did with Talking Book World. You know, even though it was the worst thing that happened at the time, you know, it was great. You know, you only learn from your failures. It's very hard to learn from your successes. So you, you made it, when you were talking about that experience, you made an interesting comment, and, I, and I, I picked up what you were talking about. For the listeners, you talked about aligning with the investors, and we talk a lot in being investable about investors and the investor mindset. And when you, when you, what does that mean to you when you said, you know, I need to align with the investors? The alignment wasn't there. Well, I think you know there has to be, you know, it's not just talking, but it's doing. So in this particular case, the way the company should be run, how people should be treated you know, what people's roles are was not as clear as I thought it was. And they had different beliefs and different understandings. A big problem with this investor group that came in was they wanted control over finances. We have monthly P&Ls for every store manager every single month. It was a really great way to keep every one of our units profitable because the manager running it could see how their activities were netting results and then we get 5% profit sharing. And these things weren't discussed in detail. And when they took over, I agreed to turn over the financial controls of the company without aligning what expectations there would be. And our managers never saw P&L again, you know, once they took over. And then stores became less profitable because they couldn't see their numbers. So they didn't know if they were making or losing money in the restaurant, in their uh, talking book club store. So they didn't know that they weren't as profitable. And then the company wasn't as profitable. And thank you for that. And, and I think you, you alluded to it, and I, and I know just from seeing the culture at, at Zoop, the team is important to you, and, and you've talked about that, having the people. What do you look for in a good team, or what makes a good management team? Well, I guess a good management team, when you're, when you're facing difficult times, everyone's willing to speak up. People don't take personally things that are said, and people are willing to say things that are maybe hard to say that, you know, like when you're sort of facing dooms, something is not looking good, everyone wants to just be yes men, you want a management team that doesn't agree, that can disagree agreeably, and and everyone can have an opinion, and no one's opinion shot down, and then there's, there always needs to be a final decision maker that's not always a consensus vote, but it's at least a direction, and everyone in that room is willing to go with the consensus vote after being heard, even if it's not their decision. Gotcha. And so you got the idea, you got the team in place. How do you put that, that blueprint or that playbook together, that strategy to keep them to be able to on path and moving forward? How do you, you now have, you know, multiple businesses, you now have multiple franchisees that you're working with. How do you continue to create strategy in such a way that you can execute and create wins and successes? Oh, I wish I knew about the system years ago, but I really learned it from being part of Zoop eight years ago when I joined as an owner, and it's called the EOS process, and it's the entrepreneur operating system process created by Gino Wickman, and we follow that process to a T, and now each business that I invest in, I'm putting on the same process. So we have quarterly meetings, a weekly structure, annual planning. We give an opportunity for everyone to speak their mind, put issues out on the table, even if they're not popular or they're not going to be 
you know, maybe they'll be looked down upon, but we try to make them feel comfortable in a safe environment with trust that they can say whatever's on their mind. Great. That sounds amazing. So let me ask you, if, you, if anyone looks you up, they're going to see lots of franchise experience. And when we talk about franchises, that, that's, a, that's a form of entrepreneurship. It just happens that there's already an existing system in place. What, what about franchising do you think is so appealing? And, and for our listeners out there who may be looking at what to be doing with their, their careers in, as an entrepreneur. Well, I think starting a business is much harder than anyone ever imagines or thinks. I don't think there's any owner or business owner today that would say it was easier than what he thought it was going to be. What franchising does is it takes some of the difficult parts of the business away and it lets you focus on some key areas of the business. So let's just say I wanted to open up a restaurant. If I do it from scratch, I have to come up with a menu, pricing, I have to pick a POS system, I have to build a, web, build a website, I have to find a supplier, and then you still have to do the regular stuff, which is hiring people, do sales, do marketing, make the food and serve customers. When you buy a franchise, somebody has done all that upfront work. They've built the website for you, they've already got a prototype, they already have a menu, they already have pricing, they already have all the ingredients, they have the suppliers in place, and all you need to focus on is the people and the customers, your employees and the customers, and manage that instead of trying to manage the entire business. And it increases your level of success. One of the franchises I'm in invested in is in the swim industry. We didn't have to invent the curriculum. We didn't have to decide what the, the promo programs are going to be. We don't have to create the marketing plan. We, we just have to implement things. So we can spend more time doing things that bring the most value and let the company, the franchise brand, do a lot of things that would take me forever to do and would take me away from doing the core parts of the business. So, so someone someone listens to that and, and they're interested in saying, hey, I want to do, be, a, be a franchisee. Is there, is there a particular set of skills or knowledge, considering the business models in place, what do they need to be willing to show up and do or what, what skills and knowledge do they need to have to be successful? The number one thing that a person needs to be successful in business and in a franchise is they have to be a good manager of people. They have to be good at hiring. They have to be good at firing poor people. They have to be good at lighting the fire under the, the middle players to make them better or get them out. And they have to be really good at teaching those great people that they have to be great and keep on performing at such a high level. You can never run a franchise or any business by yourself. You have to surround yourself sometimes with three employees, 10 employees, 50 employees. You're going to need employees to be successful. And if you have that management skill, that mannership, management and leadership, which are two different things, you could be successful in any business. That's a really interesting distinction that actually just recently came up in a conversation on management versus leadership. How do you define them differently? What's the distinction you make between the two? There's a ton of things, but just at a high level, management is holding people accountable, getting things done. And leadership is giving a vision and getting people on the same page and show a strategic direction for the company so people feel like they belong to something bigger. That's great. And, and I want to ask you a little bit about you do a lot with running marathons and triathlons and actually just recently completed one. And what about that type of training and that type of dedication do you think assimilates to your business world? Well, I think setting a goal and doing everything you got to do to accomplish it is really what life is all about, personally or professionally. You know, making a goal, if someone makes a goal to weigh a certain amount of pounds, or if someone makes a goal to have a certain amount of money in their bank account, you're going to have to make sacrifices, you're going to have to be disciplined, you're going to have to stick to a program. 
signing up for an Ironman two years ago and, and completing um, just over a year and a half ago was the scariest thing. Signing up was harder than any other part. Once I signed up, it was 11 months before the race, my mindset changed, my body changed. Every day I had to think about what am I doing today to get me closer to accomplishing that goal because we had a finite date and had this, we had a set distance that I knew I had to do and then I had to work all year to get to that, to get over that finish line. That's awesome and congratulations because that's no small accomplishment and it's uh, Thank you. pretty awesome. And it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because you basically just define setting a SMART goal, right? And so you have, you have all the things right there when you do do that, but I think that's so interesting. And I, I think it also, it just speaks to the determination necessary. So it's such a great, great accomplishment and just a, a story to kind of hear alongside everything else that you've done. I don't I think there's, uh, I'll just say something, I don't think there's anyone that's done a goal for business or a goal in an event that doesn't hit roadblocks around the way. You get injured, but you have to get up and you got to go. You dehydrate, you got to eat, you got to go. And you hit all these milestones in the fitness world, in the business world. You lose customers, you run out of cash flow, you equipment breaks, things happen. And the successful people look at those as stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. And they keep on going. I think that I think that is great advice for our listeners. And as we as we come head on home with this conversation, I got I have two more things that I'd like to ask you. One is you've had a, a successful career, and as you look back, what would you have told your younger self? Obviously, you started at fourteen, but but pick a younger self, whether it be fourteen, twenty, twenty-five, somewhere in there. What would you have told him at that time? With what you know. Well, yeah. So what I learned now is that the world changes very very quickly. I sat, I was alive, I was running a business when the internet was invented, and I let it pass me by. I, I was a late adopter on a lot, a lot of things, and I would tell myself, when new things appear in the world, learn about them, jump on them, you know, embrace these new, what I call game-changing technologies in the world, and don't sit by and, and just watch it happen. I think I think that's great advice, and with with a lot of things that are going on in the world today, I think many industries are transforming right before our very eyes, and we're either going to be left in the sidelines or we can get in the game with those. So, great advice on that. Last thing is that the the podcast is called Be Investable. What does be being investable mean to you? Well, I guess I'm an investor now, and when I look at a business, I look for a business that's got a clear strategy, it's got clear differentials, and it has a leader in place that, that I can trust. So if you want to be, if I want to be investable and people to invest in me or somebody comes to me, they got to be, they got to be trustworthy. They've got to get their stuff, their, their numbers together. They got to know exactly what they're doing. They got to be able to answer questions without, without hesitation. So I think that makes the person investable. I think Shark Tank is one of the best programs in TV ever. It has taught so many people like how prepared you need to be and know your business well enough. And we only see five minutes of a pitch of a two-hour pitch uh, that goes on. And there's a lot that goes on. And, and if you want to have a business that's investable, stand out. Awesome. Well, Richard, I cannot thank you enough. I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. My pleasure, Michael. Keep it going. Keep on spreading the great work. Get more entrepreneurs out there. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, there you have it, the latest episode of the Be Investable podcast. Until next time, stay investable. In the meantime, check out our magazine by going to www.getinvestable.com 
forward slash magazine and subscribe for a free issue. Additionally, you can find more great content through our amazing media partners such as Cranes Business Detroit, Huffington Post, Michigan Business Network, Mishapreneur, Smart Hustle Magazine, and Startup Nation. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you.